Hello, hello, I'm Colin Green and you are listening to Spike Pit, episode 164. Hey Colin, listening to your latest, great stuff, trying to get caught up on your stuff actually and uh, I probably should have started with the player one it looks like but I'm really enjoying it. Something you were talking about made me think, it seems like the old school games, there's a lot less rules, arguments, or even anybody raising a question. I think it's because there's <clears throat> just an assumption that every GM, at least uh, this is how I feel, I think my players feel this way, but there's an assumption that every GM has made old school D&D their own. They've all got some kind of house rule or some way they do it. And, you know, maybe it's a big enough change where, you know, they're giving heads ups about it to where they know what to expect. But, like, if I'm just playing at someone's, table i'm just going with the flow and i'm assuming that it's not going to be exactly by the book i mean i run first edition for god's sake so no one runs that exactly by the books pulling a jackson on you but the flip side of that is with more modern DD, with pathfinder with fourth edition third edition with fifth edition there's an assumption almost that every GM is going to be playing exactly by the book, like that there's no house rules. Um, and I don't know. I think part of that's because the rules have been, have been cleaned up, you know, and, and they're easier to understand maybe as part of it. Um, there's not as much mystery. You know, some of the books will have the, you know, the magic items and things like that right in the book for the players, you know. I mean, you go back to the, Old DM, you know, in first edition, you don't even have your two hit tables in the player's handbook, you know? I don't know. I'm rambling. Good stuff. See ya. Thanks for calling in, Froth. A couple of things stand out from that call in to me. One is this idea of going with a flow, which ties in with uh, my thoughts on a previous episode about how I like to have faith in the GM, place a bit of faith in the GM and and let them run the game they want to run. Secondly, this idea of homebrew and house rules, I'd be kind of intrigued as to where this came in. As a kid, I don't really remember talking about homebrew and house rules in them terms. I think we just probably tried to play the game by the rules and ended up maybe just getting things a little bit wrong, some misinterpretation, and and, and we would just say, oh, well, you know, this is how we play it. It it just didn't, it wasn't discussed. I guess we were too young. But but nowadays, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued by the whole concept of homebrews and house rules. I mean, RPGs quite often get compared to board games. And and that's an area of gaming where you certainly see a lot less in the way of house rules. Probably because, by and large, they're a little bit more straightforward. But I don't really know. So I think that, that that's an interest, interesting question that Froth brings to my mind. And then the other one is, yeah, what happened with the 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 old 
older games and older rule sets and then the newer sets. What happened to make players change their thinking? And I don't really know. Froth is said, you know, the rules are cleaned up and, and tightened up and I think he's, he's probably right there. I wonder if players had less access to the rules, perhaps. So maybe you had less rules lawyers. Um, on the Grognard files, when they talk about gaming back in the day, they had a thing called... Uh, the prime directive which they jokingly talk about and that's as a bunch of kids only one of the group would buy a rule set for a game and then like the first person who got in and bought into the game they would become the dm for that system or the games master for that system and it was a kind of unwritten rule that no one else would then buy into it in order to keep a, a certain mystique and mystery surrounding the game. But obviously now, as an adult uh, and a gamer in, in a wider gaming community, that that is not a thing. You know, PDFs are everywhere, books are everywhere, everybody knows the rules inside out, or, you know, the enthusiastic kind of gamers know the rules inside out. And, hmm, I think Radio Grognard, uh, Glenn there, was talking about about this. He, he did an episode on playing rules as written and how, I think it was BX, oh no, it was Beckme, Beckme D&D, Mensa, Basic and whatnot. And he, he was saying how he's not a fan of playing rules as written. He always likes to make his tweaks and, yeah, I can definitely see that, but I can also see the other side where there is there is a certain um, there is a certain satisfaction I think to be got from playing rules as written, especially if you're an enthusiast and you want to understand the different nuances of different systems. Uh, but man, I, I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole with this one. To summarise, then, in relation to being a good player. Froth had it right. Go with the flow. Just go with the flow. Hey, Colin. Arlen Walker. I've got a, a couple of things in response to being a better player. Um, first off, I have my kind of joke answer to what makes for a good player. And the, the joke answer is being willing to play something that isn't 5th edition. Um, because there's so many people that apparently only want to play 5e. And I just... I don't really want to run 5e, honestly. I, I'd much rather run all of these different indie games that I've bought on drive-thru and that I have too many of anyway. And anyway, um, as to your character, Orphan in the One Ring, I thought it was great. I, I wasn't concerned about um, lack of, of buy-in or anything like that. I felt like Orphan... Um, worked really well, and and that game in particular is really kind of pretty heavily story guided. I've got a pretty heavy hand 
a pretty heavy hand controlling that game. Um, and so it's it's been great, the little the interludes and, and additions that some of the guys have come up with. You know, that scene with um, George's character, Baronor, and Kevin's Rufus Burroughs, where they're sort of talking about the the shards of Narsil in the presence of the sword that that was really great. But uh, no, I didn't, I, I have nothing but praise for you as a player in my game. It's been great um, on a sort of more kind of theoretical note. I, um, I really think that at the core of the, the sort of baseline for a good player to me is kind of enthusiasm and buy-in. You know, it's not very hard for me to call for specific roles off the character sheet based on what somebody wants to do, as long as that person is enthusiastic and paying attention to what's going on and, you know, being creative and all that sort of stuff. And that's not to say I do... I mean, I'm sure you realize based on the way that I play that I appreciate um, some mechanical knowledge, some system mastery on the part of players because I put a lot of work into system mastery when I play. Um, but I really, that's sort of um, a secondary benefit to me. It's great when you have players who know the system really well, but really Honestly, it's not that hard if somebody is willing to be kind of creative and engaged to um, for the GM to sort of interpret what they're trying to do into mechanics. I think maybe that's just me with the sort of OSR ruling spirit going on. I don't know. But to me, that's, that's what I really look for. So for me, it's about enthusiasm. It's about creativity. Um, and if they know the system pretty well, that's even better. It's it's great to have players that know a system. But I think unless you're playing something that is uh, really crunchy and is designed for that level of crunchiness, you can probably get away with um, a sort of on-the-fly learning of the system. You know, I wouldn't run Pathfinder that way. I would, If I was running Pathfinder, I'd expect everybody to have read through the rules. But with most things, you know, it, there's some crunch. But, I mean, like with Ash, for instance, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with the combat maneuvers, but you don't need any of them to have fun by any means. And even some of the crunchier, more mechanically inclined systems that I've run, I... Um, play with my girlfriend a fair bit and she is not interested in learning the mechanics and it's fun to play with her. One more thing I will add, which is kind of friendliness and the ability to not act like a dick, um, which it seems to me ought to go without saying, but I will say it anyway. If you can't get along with the other players and with the GM, then I don't think you have a space at my table as far as I'm concerned as a player. Um, and there are different people who have different kind of logic about that, but it, it seems like that's kind of enthusiasm and friendliness will go a long way, even if, um, a player is not the most mechanically inclined, both of those will do a whole lot to make the gameplay fun and, and friendliness means different things to different people. I will add, um, with my friends in high school, we are, um, pretty aggressive with each other and, um, we are all friends, but we are do not always come across as friendly, um, but we kind of get that, and so it's okay. 
That was Arlen Walker there. He's the GM for the One Ring game that I'm playing. And he mentions Orofin. That's the character that uh, I talked about briefly in a previous episode. I thought I'd, I could have done a little bit better. I want to play it a little bit better next time. I've been reading the One Ring rules a little bit more. Arlen's keen to point out that he doesn't see that system mastery is a big thing. Um, I haven't done as much as I wanted to because I've been looking at Ash and also been trying to get some get some knowledge together on uh, Adobe Photoshop. Kind of brush up my skills in that area. So I've been neg been neglecting my reading a little bit, and I've just started a book about the Templars by Dan Jones, and enjoying that so far. So that's taken me a little way from the rule book. Sometimes I do get a bit of uh, RPG book fatigue. I really do read quite a lot, and I don't always find them super enjoyable. But it's encouraging to hear that Arlen is happy with enthusiasm. And um, what else? Kind of that immersion, engagement in the game. And, and that's a common, common theme that we're hearing. And thankfully, I find it quite easy to get enthusiastic about something. I think I've got a bit of a low bar, if I'm honest, about what's entertaining. I'm not somebody who, who bores or gets or tires of something um, very quickly. I, I can sit in endless lectures and meetings and things that people would find most boring. But for some reason, I just don't. I I think I just like listening to people talk. I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably just a bit of a weirdo. I think the comment about friendliness as well is a bit of a callback to what Logan Howard was talking about, the empathy between players and, and trying to ensure that you know, you're helping the experience at the table, not not just treating the GM well, but treating your fellow players well and, and being a team player. Once again, it's these common themes that we're seeing. I want to... I need to summarise this all a bit at some point in one of these episodes to see what the most common and most popular qualities are and then maybe look at how that can be addressed let's move on to another call in hey colin it's rob from down in heap and enjoying your last couple of episodes on the you know how to be a better player i think player skill is definitely a real thing not only from a mechanical or game knowledge point of view but just you know yeah doing things that help the game or move the game along make it better i think so often uh, a gm will get too much credit and too much blame when things either go right or wrong. It's a multiplayer game, and obviously the players, you know, consist of more people than the DM. So um, I did a couple episodes way back in my back catalog about this, but, you know, engagement is a big thing. Effort is a big thing. Players should be experts on their characters. They don't need to quote the rules chapter and verse, but they should know their character inside and out. And I'm going Jackson Town. Look out, Jackson Town. Players really should be the expert on their character, though. I mean, if 
Why should they expect someone else to care more about their character, know more about what their character can do than they do themselves? And like Che was kind of pointing out, I really appreciate it when characters do some out-of-session planning via email and you know go over some of the things that they want to do, their long-term goals, short-term goals, buying equipment, leveling up. A lot of that stuff can be done away from the table because table time is precious. And then Colin is... Like what you were alluding to, <clears throat> I appreciate it when players don't try and change the tone of the game, or when they try and shoehorn something in it that doesn't belong, and recognize that if the game's not for them, just bow out. Don't cause strife or rancor at the table. Just bow out. Thanks. Always good to hear from Rob C. Nice to know he's not gone down in a heap. Add some... Employment concerns, I think they're still ongoing, but uh, still got his phone, still calling in, so excellent. And bursting out, or almost bursting out, no, he did definitely burst into song there, and I noticed a froth on his uh, top three Tuesday. He keeps bursting out into song now that he's been talking about music. I, I think it's hilarious, it's great stuff. Uh some of the uh, common qualities being mentioned again there. And once again, talking about this, what's going on outside of the session. I think this is an area that could could benefit from a little bit more attention. What sort of things could be done away from the table, away from the session to improve the time at the table? I think there's definitely stuff we're missing there. I, I mentioned maybe players getting involved in some bits of artwork or maybe little bits of writing. I, I know that, um, well, we got a call in from John Large a bit later. He's He did a Thousand Lands campaign and we were encouraged with an XP incentive to write something between sessions. I, I did a couple of these, like a little little journal entries. But th that game was moving at quite a pace. I, I was almost um, bowled over. I could imagine my character being bowled over by what was going on. It, it was quite, uh, you know, if you'd have been in a world where stuff was getting destroyed and you're getting moved from strange place to strange place, you, you could almost be speechless and... I think <laughs> I, I think I, I'd come away from a session uh, quite shocked by what had happened, and before you knew it, we were playing again, and I, I, I just hadn't got my head around it. Uh, I, I I was more in control of my thoughts at the beginning of the campaign. We was on a little bit more familiar ground, but when we got to the kind of abandoned giant mechs, and then fleeing this kind of chunk of floating um, island kind of thing and on this flying in this flying ship went to a, another place it was like a kind of a science fantasy setting uh, whoosh yeah uh, <laughs> I was all at sea but once again having said all that I could have sat down, thought about it a little bit more. If I'd have been 
the GM, I would have sat down there and got my head around it because I, I would have felt I had to uh, for the sake of the players and running my next session. But as a player, you just kind of you get to goof off a little bit. Uh, so there's an area I could be a better player. Maybe that's this... Um, forget what Rob was saying now it's kind of effort like putting in that little bit of extra effort I believe and now he now he, here he is the man himself the fella that got my head spinning and all at sixes and sevens it's John Large from the Red Dice Diaries Hi Colin it's John from Red Dice Diaries I think it's a great topic you're covering and I agree it's a very un, some, not discussed as much as it should do Topic that of better players and the qualities you look for in a good player. Now, one which I am adamant about and which I really love to say I mean, hell, if you catch me a couple of drinks in at a games convention, I will stand up and testify about it. Is players who are taking responsibility for making their own fun. There's a common misconception that. If a player is not having fun in a game, that's all on the GM. And while the GM can do a lot, if a player just sits around and doesn't do much, they're not going to have fun. What you want are players who will get out there, they will look for plot, they will get involved in stuff they're doing themselves, and they will just generally make their own fun. I wholeheartedly agree with you there, John. And probably if I was a few drinks in at a con, I'd be up there with you backing you up but yeah i can't add anything to it just words of wisdom there and yeah i've met the players that could do with listening to that advice make your own fun and if you haven't if you're not able to totally make it at least contribute a bit don't just sit there like a wet lettuce couple of call-ins now from my last episode where I talked about the Gardens of Yin, had a, a good response, thankfully. And, uh, yeah, let's let's hear what the folks have got to say. Hi, Colin. Really enjoyed your Gardens of Yin episode. Sounded like such an interesting uh, setting. Um, annoyingly, it seems to do uh, what I was trying to achieve with my Southern Reach setting, so uh, I'm probably going to pick that up uh, just to see how it's laid out sounds like a great read anyway but um, the idea of doing a point crawl as opposed to a hex crawl uh, that'd be interesting to look into um, also uh, the whole concept of drawing like a door on a wall and that entering into a garden um, I recently uh, did a troika unwrapping and I mentioned how the cover reminded me of some of my old Rupert annuals from the 70s and that whole kind of finding secret gardens and stuff sounded very Rupert the Bear to me reminded me a lot of that stuff uh, anyway great episode take care wow a Rupert the Bear reference Spencer there clearly a fan of the old white bear with the uh, the funky yellow trousers and uh I believe he had a red jumper, if I'm not mistaken. And it's funny you mention Rupert the Bear. I always think of the uh, guy who does a lot, the artist who does quite a bit for the Hydra Cooperative, Luca Rayek. 
his style of illustration reminds me a lot of the illustrations that crop up in Rupert the Bear and I think to some extent Tintin although I'm not too sure and I actually mentioned it on MeWe and um, I was quite chuffed he agreed with me <laughs> he thought it was a good call so um, yeah ah if you're not listening to Spencer you are missing out his podcast is called Keep of the Borderlands, uh, quite a, a witty little play on uh, D&D history there. And yeah, I've said it before, and as I always say, I'll say it again. <laughs> uh, free for all, very funny. His last episode had me had me cracking up. I, th- I think. Um, I don't know if it's a Monty. I don't know if there's a bit of a Monty Python thing going on there, or or what. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't like Monty Python. Perhaps he'll let us know. I'm always a little bit wary about doing reviews. I'm I'm glad I've had a good response on the on the Gardens of Yin. It appealed to me. The idea of the point could appeal to me because I'm not always convinced that. Um, Hex crawls are the best thing for me to run. I like the the flexibility of the the point crawl, and I think if I was gonna sit down and write something for an RPG today, I think a, a point crawl might be what I would go for. I quite like the idea of creating loosely related sites and encounters and um, have have that flexibility to sort of stretch the space between them if that makes sense or or maybe not be too certain about how they're linked because I'm I'm never that comfortable when faced with a hex call about putting things on the map hmm I don't know why that is but with the gardens of yin that's not a problem you've got and I think that appeals to me and and that really caught my eye when I read it so if anybody is um, dashing out and buying it don't forget to say spike pit sent (laughs) you Hey Colin, it's Laren. Oh my gosh, you know I'm going to have to go buy that PDF now, right? That game sounds so cool. It's almost like the garden version of Troika. (laughs) I got Troika on free RPG day and I've been reading through that. And that is some wackadoodle stuff, but I like wackadoodle. So I'm hoping that my husband might run Troika convention we're going to next week. We'll have to see if he can squeeze it in. Anyway, I will probably do a couple podcasts from that convention talking about it. So I'm excited about that. When I actually get to talk about some gaming things, what? All right, I'll catch you later. I hope you're having a good day. Hey, Colin, Laren again. I had another thought. Another thing I really enjoy about what I heard about that game is that it's not dark or negative. 
so much of gaming is so dark and negative and violent, and I just am not into that. So it's not like I can't, I don't know, I mean, I have played some of that, but it's not really my thing, you know? It's not like it has to be all butterflies and puppies. It's just the whole point of it can't be don't get mass murdered. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, thanks for a great episode. Hey, Colin, it's Liren. My son and I were just sitting here listening, and you played my comment where I said I thought it was Mice and Mystics he was playing at a con. He said it's actually called Hedge and Briar, and the guy who's working on it, it's like a side project, so he doesn't, my son isn't sure it's even like published and available, but the guy was at a couple of different cons my son went to, and my son really loved that game. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know that he told me what the correct name was. He does know what Mice and Mystics is, though, but that is not the game that he was playing at the cons. Always good to hear from Liren, and I think I might have led a slightly astray there. The Gardens of Yin is not a standalone game. You will need some sort of system to play it, although the bestiary and any kind of crunch or rules that are in uh, the product are very system neutral really there's there's not much you need to worry about it's kind of traditional D&D if I'm honest but pretty bare bones you could do lots with it it would be fine with PBTA I think I would and Spencer mentioned it. Maybe, uh, maybe a good little setting for Troika. Um, and yeah, this Briars Hedges and Briars. Not one I'm familiar with. I did a quick search. Uh, uh, like you know, just typed it into Google. Didn't bring in anything up. But I'm wondering that if your son was playing at a convention, this it might have been some playtesting going on, and this this may uh, maybe either a homebrew or a game that's not been released. So, um, but it's good good that you had fun with that, and yeah, Mice and Mystics is a, a a good little family game, but you you couldn't really call it an RPG. Um, I actually. I've got plans on doing something with that because I picked up Tail Feathers, which is like the third, is it the fourth? It's the third big box kind of um, tie-in for Mice and Mystics. It's a separate game, standalone, but you can use it to expand Mice and Mystics. It's got a bunch of figures in. It's like a skirmish game where you are using like... Birds from opposing factions, you've kind of got the bad guys and the mice and the good guys. And it, it's a smart little game. It comes, it's produced by uh, Plied Hat, and the designer is Jerry Hawthorne. I don't think it really got much traction, and it was pretty expensive when on release. I think it was around 60, 70 pounds. UK and I managed to pick it up the other day on Amazon for 20 quid the miniatures alone in there are worth more than 20 quid to me 
I think uh, they're just some really nice little, um, uh, what do you call it, anthropomorphic animals and these, like I say, these birds that they fly around on. And, and the birds, are they must be about six inches long. Uh, they're, they're, they're good chunky figures and I thought it would be a good one for the kids. So that's about it. That wraps it up. Let's get into the closing thanks. Thanks then to everybody who called in. Great set of call-ins there. Really comprehensive discussion. And it seems that people have got things to say about player skill. I need to, like I say, consider some of these thoughts and, and start thinking about how I can actually improve. I've talked about a few things now. I'm going to give that some more thought and put that into a future episode, I reckon. And if anybody's got any suggestions, you know what to do. Like these good folks, call in, tell us your thoughts. What practical steps can we take to be better players? I also remembered, having listened back to the episode, that Rob mentioned he spoke about player skill in Down in a Heap previously. So I urge you, if you haven't heard that those earlier episodes of Down in a Heap, go back, get a listen to them. I've heard them, but I don't remember what he said. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that myself. The other thing was, I thought, just in response to Liren as well, the other system that I might run Gardeners of Yin would be um, Black Hack. So I might actually do that as well. But once again, thanks to Evan. I really appreciate it. You know I do. You kind of, with, without the call-ins, I would, I would struggle to put something out there because it's the call-ins that, that feed feed my inspiration feed my enthusiasm also a big thanks to my other supporters the pit crew over on spike pit patreon keeping me going and growing with their generosity and support last but not least i want to say a big thanks to you the listener it's friday here in the uk it's the weekend it's chill out time If you're listening to this, you've got a weekend coming up. Have a good one. Take care. I'll catch you later. By the light of the stars, I was hunting again For a mean old troll in a third level den I'd been lucky so far, this was old school rules I should've been cautious, should've used my tools The path was leafy and the way was dim The DM cracked a smile but I ignored him And then I fell into a spike pit